Into sports. 20 yards out. Earth shoot. Don't shoot. And get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him. Yeah, no. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Fabregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do we get a slap? Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. Oh, the shape that will get if you've let all the fans down. Can we not knock it? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladici, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions on anything uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you, disgrace! I suggest you shut up and show more football. Well, Manchester United fans, it just isn't getting any better, is it? Despite beating PSG, hammering RB Leipzig and having nine points on the board from three games, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side still crashed out of the Champions League this week. And if you ask Jose Mourinho, they should not be allowed into the Europa League. This is Team 33, I'm Endicall. We're not talking about the Champions League tonight this week. I promise I won't mention Pogba's name on the show this evening, but it has been just another crazy week of football, if we're being honest with ourselves. There's something about packing all the football together that just makes it seem a little bit more off the charts these days. The story that we're covering tonight, though, is unbelievably off the charts. It's even further off the charts than you could ever imagine. It's a story that cropped up a few years ago and has returned to the fore during the failed Newcastle United takeover by a Saudi group last year. It's the story of BOQ. If you don't know what BOQ is, it's a pirate TV channel that was essentially just stealing all of being sports material and broadcasting it to people in Saudi Arabia. But it plays a role in a much wider dispute between Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And to discuss this, I'm joined on the line now by Ben Jacobs, who has written all about it in this issue of The Blizzard. Ben, thanks for joining me. Pleasure. This has to be one of the most difficult confusing <laughs> wild stories that has come out of the Premier League and football over the last couple of years absolutely I mean you've got piracy which is complicated anyway you have Saudi Arabia which is difficult to find information from within you have the advanced nature of the piracy itself which makes it even more of a headache to not only analyze the frequencies as to where the network may have come from but in addition, try and determine how it was able to function on such a large scale, because this is advanced piracy. This isn't just someone in Saudi Arabia in their basement pressing play on a stream. It's much more complicated, and therefore there's a lot more money and support around it. And then you've got the other side, the Qatari side, and arguably even the Premier League side, which is completely different to what the official Saudi Arabia line is, and they were naturally saying it was just a rogue pirate network. And on top of all all of that and the football side of things, you've of course got the politics in the Gulf as well, which has clearly influenced some of the narrative. So a very complicated but fascinating story and one that really is still ongoing, even though the pirate network itself, BLQ, shut down in August of last year. 
Yeah, so there's a lot to get into. There's the Saudi side, the Qatari side, how the EU Commission and the US government come into things and even FIFA and the Premier League themselves. But give us some background on BRQ. What are they? Who are they? And what did they do, essentially? Yeah, in essence, BLQ was a sophisticated pirate network that launched shortly after the Gulf crisis between Saudi and Qatar started. And in essence, after Saudi Arabia, due to politics, cut off Qatar, they were left with a bit of a headache because B in sports are the official broadcaster still to this date of most of the major rights, in particular, as far as Saudi Arabians are concerned, La Liga and the Premier League are the big ones, but there's a whole range of other sports as well. So in essence, if those within Saudi Arabia wanted to watch sport during the blockade, they had to do so on BLQ. And because BLQ originally was directly a part of Al Jazeera, and Al Jazeera is owned by the Qatari Emir, that's a politicized organization. So in essence, the allegation towards the Saudi government is they didn't want Al Jazeera slash B in sports in Saudi Arabia. So they supported in some capacity a pirate network to rip off crown jewels of sports rights in order to still broadcast them in Saudi Arabia under a different name, thus getting around the fact that during the blockade, they would have otherwise had to air the legal broadcast to be in sports and that didn't sit well politically. So that's certainly one theory. But of course, on the flip side, if you were to ask the Saudi Arabian government to officially define BLQ, they would simply say it was a rogue pirate network that wasn't that advanced, that didn't start in Saudi Arabia, that was not supported by the government and is now shut down. So you can instantly see, even from just your opening question, what is it, that the answer to that question has lots of different perspectives, depending on whether you're from Saudi Arabia, whether you're from Qatar or the Premier League. And as a journalist, I was trying to delve into who is closest to the truth and how we can ultimately place BLQ. Because if you can place it first and foremost in Saudi Arabia, it is much more likely that the government did support it. Okay. And I'd say everybody you ask would be lying if they said they hadn't watched a football on an illegal screen before in their life, because I think we all have. But this is much more sophisticated than that. This goes beyond... Uh, somebody like you said in their basement getting the stream up and pressing play and broadcasting that to a couple of hundred people this is really a sophisticated uh, well-funded channel that had both state funding somewhere and also a state to, to turn a blind eye to what was going on essentially yeah, I mean, the key word that you correctly mentioned is channel. So it is true that at the front end of piracy, the consumer or user is still ultimately just pressing a button. And sometimes that's for free off a rogue stream. And other times there are opportunities with other less sophisticated pirate networks to pay small fees and get all of the streams or some of the streams that you want. However, in this particular case, the sophistication is around the encryption first and foremost, so it couldn't be tracked or shut down. And then just the scale. So BLQ started by taking content from BN Sports, largely, like I say, out of politics. But in the end, it was pick and mix of sports rights. It was a Netflix of piracy. So they determined over time that they could steal from the BBC, from ESPN, and ultimately couldn't be caught because of the sophisticated nature of the encryption itself. So when we're talking about a sophisticated pirate network, 
we're essentially saying the mechanics, the technical side were extraordinarily sophisticated. The way in which they stopped themselves being traced and avoided any kind of legal action, that's number one. Number two is the sophisticated coordination between the network and seemingly the Saudi government in supporting it, or as you say, turning a blind eye, but also the Saudi legal courts in ensuring that the Premier League and in sports both together and separately were not able to set foot in Saudi Arabia and take any action. And then the final aspect of the sophistication rather than channel is the N-Work network. So over time, BLQ had multiple channels. It had tailored presentation. It had customized adverts. It had marketing throughout Saudi Arabia. It had packages that you could buy that were promoted within shops. It had well-designed logos and boxes. It had digital talent. It had support by prominent Saudi individuals that were saying when games were on on social media. It had marketing campaigns away from actually on air in order to promote things like watch parties during the World Cup in Russia when Saudi Arabia were playing. So ultimately, a pirate network would not normally have a call center. It would not normally have a head office. It would not normally have a commercial and marketing team. So in that respect, it was essentially just a TV channel and a growing TV channel that got bigger and bigger and bigger by the day before it then suddenly mysteriously disappeared, coincidentally around the same time as those affiliated to the Saudi government through their sovereign wealth fund, the PIF, went in for Newcastle United. That might just be a coincidence, but you could also argue that if you are affiliated to the Saudi government, like their sovereign wealth fund, and your chairman is Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and you want to invest in Newcastle United, you probably ought to remove your pirate network from Saudi Arabia first yeah. to ensure that no one's going to accuse you of stealing rights that you're ultimately also trying to buy or at least invest more broadly within that league. Yeah, wow. that's I actually didn't know it went beyond just putting the product out there. So they, they essentially were a fully functioning TV channel in, in the terms of what BN were. Yeah, exactly. And the interesting analogy between the model of BLQ, again, if it goes to a law court, you would say that it's circumstantial evidence. But right before BLQ founded, the Saudi government did officially in conjunction with Egypt launch a broadcaster called PBS Sport. And PBS Sport was said to challenge BN Sports. And anyone working for BN Sports in Saudi Arabia was told that they would be migrated across to PBS Sport. And PBS Sport launched officially with lots of government fanfare. And it was said that the late great Maradona at that time would be one of their pundits and lots of other ex-Saudi Arabian players. And there would be 15 channels ultimately, which again is very akin to BN Sports. And then a few months later, that channel disappeared completely and there was no explanation why it was not to launch or whether or not any kind of funding had fallen through. And then there was a very short gap and then out of nowhere, BLQ appeared. And then over time, BLQ effectively became exactly what they said PBS Sport would be, but just an illegal version of it. Now, I would say that it is very coincidental for the same model at the same or similar times for two channels to emerge in Saudi Arabia mm. and for one to be announced and then disappear without reason. And then so soon after another simply to appear. 
the Saudi government would obviously argue that one was their project and just never happened, and the other one was a rogue operation, as they say publicly, that was based in both Cuba, uh, Cuba and Colombia. Um, so nothing to do with Saudi Arabia other than the fact that that was the target audience because somebody somewhere saw opportunism during the political crisis. So nobody's denying that the consumer audience was in Saudi Arabia, uh, but the denial on the Saudi government's part is that this was just a completely illegal concept done by people unknown to them from outside of Saudi Arabia and um, marketed due to opportunism during the Gulf crisis to a Saudi-specific audience. But the flaw in that argument is, unfortunately, for the Saudi Arabian government, uh, one, these coincidences that I mentioned, um, such as why was BLQ exactly the same as the channel that you were just about to launch, and why did your channel disappear, and why did a much cheaper uh, channel that you're not culpable for, and you perhaps don't have to fund as much appear immediately afterwards, but with all the same tenets, with all the same ideology, and with some of the same staff, and more damningly and less speculatively, you would also have to add, why is the frequency analysis showing clearly that BLQ was broadcast from within Saudi, which is in direct contradiction to what the Saudi Arabian government uh, have stated? Yeah, and I, I do remember around the time of the World Cup, something coming out, and I, I only vaguely remember about a pirate network that were streaming the BN feed and that it was being tracked back to South America at the time. Uh, but I, I suppose that was BRQ and that's where the Colombia and Cuba story has appeared uh, since. And we, we know now that it was actually, it, it wasn't where coming from South America. But when you talk about the tracking of this, this became a big thing, right? So Premier League, the rights are worth millions and almost into the billions now. So they're not going to let their rights be taken for free. And BN are paying a lot of money for them, so they deserve to broadcast them. So obviously there's going to be people tracking this. So FIFA, the EU Commission, the US government, Premier League, they all have been tracking where this has been coming from. Yeah, completely. And the Premier League have tried their own independent civil action in Saudi Arabia, totally separate from BN and largely separate, therefore, from the politics of the region. And they've tried dual action with BN Sports, both in Saudi Arabia and outside of Saudi Arabia, including with the WTO. And that report essentially made it very clear that the frequencies of BLQ were in Saudi Arabia. But it also stated, because there's trade precedent and the US supported the Saudi Arabian side, that Qatar were deemed in the current climate a, quote, national security threat, which means that even though the heads of a sports channel might not be that much of a threat, because of the politics and because of Qatar's old direct affiliation to Al Jazeera, and ultimately people do still associate it with Al Jazeera now. There's a divide between the two channels, but they're in the same complex. They share a lot of resources and so on. So it was essentially deemed that Qatar can't take action in Saudi Arabia at the moment because setting foot in Saudi Arabia might be deemed a security threat. So that kind of left the Premier League in a very difficult position because if they're to pursue action in Saudi Arabia now, unless the Gulf crisis ends, and luckily it is relaxing a little bit, but unless it actually ends, the Premier League are to some extent on their own in Saudi Arabia. So what happened was being independently and the Premier League with BN tried a variety of different cases to make headway. And the WTO one was important because it looked at the satellite network ArabSat and through 
both the WTO and evidence provided to it, and prior to that, a report from the EU, there was a clear determination from extensive frequency analysis that BLQ was broadcasting from Riyadh, not Cuba and Colombia, as the Saudi government stated. And shortly after that report came out, the reaction from Saudi Arabia was to clamp down on a lot of IP and to make their process for blocking illegal use of IP as transparent as possible to try at least and react positively to that report. But it obviously doesn't solve the specific problem of BLQ. Saudi Arabia would argue, but the channel's gone, so what's the harm? But the Premier League still feel like there is a lack of trust, I suppose, between the perpetrators they believe from Saudi Arabia to be behind BLQ um, and ultimately the group that are connected specifically to Newcastle United. And because there's crossover between those personnel, the Premier League are very cagey about doing business with anyone from the government within Saudi Arabia. And, and some would say in the context of Newcastle United that they should be looking at human rights. They should therefore be ruling out any affiliation with Mohammed bin Salman on moral grounds. And I appreciate that argument uh, entirely, but the Premier League are looking first and foremost at direct hits to their business. So actually within PIF and Newcastle, the most damning figure on the board is not Mohammed bin Salman, but Mohammed al Kasabi. Uh, who is uh, the media minister. And al Kasabi as media minister is directly responsible for piracy and sits on the PIF board. So he is the highest ranking Saudi official that's supposed to be investigating BLQ, that's supposed to be allowing the Premier League and be in sports potentially into Saudi Arabia, trying the case, working out who's responsible, punishing those individuals within Saudi Arabia if they're not part of the Saudi government. And if they are part of the Saudi government, ultimately owning up to it, if he's being as transparent as possible. So given that particular figure has been a roadblock for the Premier League in dealing with piracy, you can understand why if his name crops up on the board for the group trying to buy Newcastle United, that the Premier League would immediately want to do a lot of due diligence to be absolutely sure that they're not effectively getting into bed with the same people that were behind stealing their rights. And then just in terms of the other reports, coming back to your question, there was a case in France that tried to sue for commercial damages that BN initiated, and they were told that because the network didn't extend into France. BN Sports had not been commercially damaged specifically in France, but the French court did still accept that there's a strong case to be tried in Saudi Arabia, which was another court that ultimately agreed that the frequency analysis very much suggests that this is a Saudi-based operation. And every report has basically come to that conclusion except one commissioned within Saudi Arabia, but their own frequency analysis was not continuous. So without going into too much detail, and boring your listeners, ArabSat basically has two satellites, mm -hmm. big satellites. And unless you're looking at both of them at the same time, and unless you're looking at every single hour when sport is being aired, you're going to get very selective analysis. So whereas the Mark Monitor Report, as it's called, which was looked at and accepted by the EU Commission and the WTO, looked at every frequency analysis over a long period of time and saw a presence of BLQ, the Saudi 
Arabsat Commission report had selective frequency analysis and basically was picking times when football wasn't even on. So surprise, surprise, BLQ wasn't airing because there wasn't a football match at four in the morning or 11 in the morning in Riyadh. So that's the kind of difference between the levels of analysis that have taken place. But in essence, the reports are important, not just because they point towards Saudi Arabia, but once you accept that the frequencies have come from Saudi Arabia, you then accept the government would have known that BLQ was on their frequencies because the way these companies work, they're either government owned, they're government supported, or they're entirely government controlled. So to say that for three years, BLQ was on Arabsat and the Saudi government were entirely oblivious to it, is nonsense because as soon as they were told about BLQ and they were told it might be on that particular network, they could have shut it down in a heartbeat and they didn't. So at best, the Saudi government would be culpable for turning a blind eye because it benefited them politically. And at worst, this was a state-sponsored, state-supported piracy network. I do want to return to the Newcastle question because that ultimately is where this leads back to. But One interesting phrase you used in your piece, which kind of stood out to me, was the Cold War between these two states. And I haven't heard it described as that before, but it does make sense because Qatar is being frozen out. And if you think about the Cold War between America and Russia, it was essentially a war on um, smear campaigns and putting America above Russia and Russia being better in America and technological warfare and developing things like this. And that is that leads me into the question, how likely do you think this is a smear campaign from the Qatari government for the Saudis? Because we all we know now after historical evidence proven it that there was so many smear campaigns from America to Russia and vice versa, and it all got muddled up in what ultimately we don't know the full truth of what went on during the Cold War. So how likely do you think it is that the Qataris are behind this and not the Saudis? I mean, it would be extraordinarily Machiavellian for Qatar to not just smear Saudi Arabia, but in doing so to bring its own broadcaster that, as I say, was previously directly owned by Al Jazeera to its knees. So the arguments that suggest that it wouldn't be a Qatari smear campaign are ultimately what would they gain from this? Because at the point BLQ started, they had absolutely no idea that PIF would be part of a bid for Newcastle United. So ultimately, you would then be arguing that Qatar, as a government, would be starting a pirate network for what? And the Saudi people benefited from that pirate network. And the Saudi government seemingly quite likes that pirate network because they turned a blind eye to it at best. And maybe they even sponsored it at worst. So Mm -hmm. If Qatar wanted to smear Saudi Arabia, they didn't do a very good job up until the point that PIF entered the fray for Newcastle United. And then naturally, it is true that some Qataris definitely use that for a PR narrative to try and block specifically the Newcastle United takeover. But BLQ completely predates that bid for Newcastle United. So Qatar wouldn't have gained anything by saying, hey, we're going to start a pirate network. We're going to release it in Saudi Arabia. We're going to blame it on the Saudi government and then ultimately the Saudi government are like well great 
that takes the headache away from us. Now we've got sport. We are nothing to do with it. Thanks very much. So there's no real reason why Be Out Q would specifically be used as a smear campaign. And then you have to bear in mind who's been damaged by this. And the answer is very categorically B in sports who have made over 500 redundancies, who have dropped their Formula One rights packages, who haven't renewed at the full amount Serie A yet, and they may not even invest in Serie A in the long run, who have declined to renew the Bundesliga, who are bleeding money left, right and centre. And I just don't see why anyone within the media or more broadly the Qatari government would choose to bring their own broadcaster to their knees to simply make a point against the Saudi Arabian government yeah. and the way that they handle things. There's no real sense in that. And it, it's not actually that impactful until PIF enter the fray and try and buy Newcastle United, which let's not forget is very late in the narrative. Now, the only argument you could make in favor of a smear campaign is the link that Qatar have with Arabsats. They don't necessarily have a controlling state within the Riyadh office of Arabsat where BLQ is believed to have broadcast, but ultimately, it is worth stressing that Arab Sat, which absolutely had BLQ frequencies on it, is not just a Saudi organization. It has a Saudi HQ in Riyadh, and that's a very closed office controlled by the Saudi government. But the organization itself is what's known as Panmina, and Qatar have about a 15% stake in that. So there are senior Qatari figures on the broader board of Arab Sat that would be decision makers. And, and one key question, is uh, by the Saudis, if BLQ is broadcasting on Arabsat and then those on the Qatari board also are aware of that, why are they not pulling out? Why are they not kicking up more of a fuss? Why are they allowing it to continue as well? And that is a very valid question. Uh, but ultimately, as I said earlier, once the Gulf crisis started, everything became very segmented. And therefore, if what was happening was out of the Riyadh office of Arabsat, it's very unlikely that anyone with a Qatari passport or link would have any kind of influence or access to stop what was going on. Yeah, and that certainly would have been probably the longest game in history for marginal gains in a, in a small Cold War. But I suppose to finish up on Newcastle and round it off, because that's ultimately where it leads... The deal did fall through because of this, essentially, because the, like you said, the human rights issue didn't seem to be an issue until the issue of BRQ came into things as well. And the people involved will deny that, but that is essentially what it comes down to is losing money. But just on the Premier League and streaming in general, because it, we are entering a world now where if you don't have a subscription to Sky or BT or whoever, you can find an illegal stream. No matter what game it is, as long as it's big enough, you will be able to find an illegal stream. Morally, whether that's right or wrong, is it's up for debate. But the Premier League seems to have completely ignored it for this long. So do you think now after BRQ and this issue that they'll start to probably take streaming a little bit seriously and maybe review where their, their rights holders are? pay them or where they host their their rights because Amazon Prime are starting to come in now and it really seems to me that the Premier League should go down the route of the NFL and they, they own their own rights and then they distribute them out to whoever and whoever pays for them. So do you think or have you heard if the Premier League have thought about that or, or even thought about the way that they think about streaming because of BRQ? 
I think there's a variety of points that you raise. And if we start with the last one, which is will the Premier League provide their own viewing service direct to consumers on an OTT platform, as it's known? I don't think so. And the reason for that is because it won't be as financially lucrative for them. So, you know, if you run the basic maths and you look at the different price points, one, during the pandemic, we know that that 14.95 a game caused absolute outrage. Two, if you then look at another region that does have a subscription-based service that allows you to get all of the games, such as America, the peacock rate for the Premier League is $5.99, $5.99. So that's about four pounds. And as soon as people see that, they have a price point in mind. So even if, for example, you went up to an Amazon Prime subscription of about $9.99 or Netflix at about $15.99, effectively for the Premier League to make the same amount of money as they currently do from all of their rights combined, they would need something in the region of 850 million subscribers. And that is basically three times Netflix's current subscriber base. So they would somehow have to be three times bigger than Netflix to make the same amount of money as they currently do right now from divvying up all the different regions and selling them direct. Then in addition, they would potentially have extra costs because although there's a Premier League Productions that does film the games, they'd have to add more presentation, possibly more cameras, definitely more languages, and a whole lot more shoulder content. And they'd lose faith with a lot of the broadcasters. They could, for example, choose to put all of their games on a uh, OTT service and then sell them back to the broadcasters on a non-exclusive basis. Or there's a halfway ground as well, where um, a bit like during the pandemic, you could keep the packages with the broadcasters, but you could have some kind of monthly package that gives you every other game that is not currently being broadcast. And that could be for a much smaller rate. And then that is just extra money. And if it is optional, and if you're not used to getting all the games, particularly in the UK anyway, then that might be something you go for. And I think that the perversity of the pandemic is that people now do expect to see every single game because sadly fans haven't been able to get inside the stadiums, but that's not something that we've been used to in the United Kingdom previously. So if there was no pandemic and one season, the Premier League suddenly said, do you know what? You usually would get the ability through Sky, through BT, through Amazon to see about two thirds of the games on television. We're going to give you the other third if you each want to pay 20 pounds a month. Whatever price the Premier League put on that, fans would ultimately see that more as an option. And if they wanted to take it, fine. And if they didn't want to take it, then they would say, I'm fine with the games that I would usually only see on television. And if I can get to some games, great. But the pandemic has introduced this notion of we're locked out of football. So why on earth are we being charged to see extra football games? And why can't we have every other football game much like America, much like the Middle East and North Africa. So I think that's going to change the landscape now. And I think the BBC having some Premier League games um, is also going to change the landscape because, again, people have that expectation now. So that's kind of one thing. And like I say, the Premier League have to weigh up the uh, landscape changing versus them being able to make the same amount of money as they do now. And then the first part of your question, which is, are the Premier League doing enough to actually clamp down on piracy? The answer is sort of yes and no. 
Uh, yes, actually, domestically, they, they do have a big team. They do convict people. They do go into pubs that are illegally streaming them and take them to court. Um, and I think there was actually something in the region of 250,000 IP complaints that were um, successfully um, dealt with by the Premier League or through their legal team. Of course, some of them were just taking clips off YouTube um, or shutting down smaller live streams. Um, internationally, it's a lot harder to shut down piracy um, because the Premier League don't always have a presence in each of these regions. Mm -hmm. And also the piracy is very rarely in the regions that show all of the games anyway. So the increase in piracy is down to the fact that the be out cues of this world and in America, NBC and Peacock have all of the games and they're cheap and they're relatively easy to put in other places. Now, because they're cheap and because they're out there in lots of different places internationally, you're more likely in Saudi Arabia when there was legal being or in Doha, you're more likely just to be watching being sports rather than turning to an illegal stream because it's on in all of your uh, rooms. It comes with every cable network. It's accessible. It's in all of the pubs. It's in all of the bars. Um, you can't miss it. So you don't really need to find some rogue ropey stream but it gives people outside of those regions the opportunity to get access to those boxes and then put it elsewhere. So the challenge for the Premier League um, is not to take piracy more seriously. They've been taking it seriously for years. The challenge is to find out how they can shut down international markets that are initiating rogue streams um, and do that with the cooperation of the rights holders they're selling to. Because if they fail to work and succeed in that particular aspect with the international rights holders that they sell to, then the international rights holders eventually are going to feel like the payments they're making for exclusive content are not worth it because their content's being ripped off and is by default, therefore, non-exclusive content. And if that content is deemed by the broadcaster to be non-exclusive due to the growing nature of piracy, they'll want to pay less. And what you're seeing specifically as a result of Be Out Q is exactly that, that Serie A had to refund B in sports 120 million because it was accepted that the Italian rights were non-exclusive because of Be Out Q. And that meant that a 500 million payment got 120 million back which means the clubs are impacted. So if B and sports continue that with every single rights holder that they've purchased from, then ultimately they're going to get a lot of refunds and it's the clubs that are going to lose out. So we can't lose sight of the bigger picture, which is piracy is everywhere. Yes. Some is more advanced. I would accept that, but it is rampant everywhere. And if eventually, particularly in this post COVID climate, those buying the rights, start to take it more seriously. So the Premier League, I think, take it seriously. But if those buying the rights start to take it more seriously, and that's key, and start to say, we won't stand for this. We want refunds. We want the leagues to support us with more stringent measures rather than just putting it on us to deal with. Because if you put it on BN to deal with, they'll ultimately just brush it away and say, we've got a lot of other things to do. We can't yeah. be running around the whole MENA region taking sole responsibility for shutting this down. But if eventually they say, hey, hang on a minute, we've been financially impacted by this and start asking the leagues for refunds, then the bigger picture is actually that it's the clubs in the long run that will lose out because every single league will eventually be getting less international rights money. And as a consequence, the clubs will get less money back to them. And that will effectively damage every single football club's 
uh, financial model, including Newcastle United, regardless of whether they are or aren't bought by PIF. Yeah, certainly interesting times ahead. Ben Jacobs from the Blizzard and Freelance Football Writer, thanks very much for joining me today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. You know, I'm a football man. Kevin's a football man, you know. And Joel's not. Now, Sorry, I'm a football man too. Oh! What, what do you wear? Are you a boxer short boxers, man? Are yeah, you boxers, boxers, yeah. Are boxers. you a knickers man or what are you? That's one thing my wife's never had to buy me is boxer shorts or pants because I, um, I don't wear any. Simple as that. I don't think I'm the only male out there that doesn't wear pants either. I think there's a lot of males. I know a lot of people that don't wear pants. It's no big deal. I don't know. You know, I'm a football man. I don't wear that, do I? Oh, how Robson Canoe. We found one here. Still don't wear pants. Still don't wear pants. What, what do you wear? Boxers. So how about that for a story, the story of Biotku and I don't think that will be going away anytime soon as the Saudi group continue to try and take over Newcastle United. I do think that will be an issue and I do think the Premier League have a real issue on their hands over the next couple of years when it comes to dealing with pirate TV channels and pirate streams. And they really need to get their act together if they want to combat it because it's an issue that's not going away. They're going to end up losing money. So it is something that they're going to have to look at if they want to fix it. That is all we have time for on this week's Team 33. I will be back again with another podcast. I'm not going to be on the radio next week because there is a roadshow going out. But I will record a podcast and upload it into the usual channels. If you want to subscribe to that channel, you can do so in the OTB Sports app and you get notified every time a Team 33 episode is live. You can also watch us on YouTube on the Off The Ball YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Until then, take it away, Johan. (laughs) 